Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Aphrodite podcast. We are so excited because we have a guest joining us today. Um, her name is Melissa Chikunu. She is a social worker and she is just a brilliant, amazing person. Um, we're so excited to hear from her. We have a few questions to ask her. Um, before we ask her some questions, I'll just let her briefly, briefly introduce herself. Melissa? Okay, hi guys, thank you for having me. Um, as Emmanuel said, my name is Melissa. I am a senior practitioner in the area of social work. Um, I also am a youth lead worker at church. Um, through work, I do a lot of work with children and families, just supporting families and making sure that children are being brought up best way that they can be. I am also a qualified practice educator, which means that I have student social workers taken under my wing and I see them through their courses. I also um, assess potential foster carers. That's something that I've been doing recently. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of kids out there that need to be fostered in a great home and I'm that person that will come in and do the assessment and see whether or not you would be okay to have any child um, that's that need placed in your care. I have a passion for young people and seeing them thrive um, and making sure that they have all the best outcomes in life. That's really, really dear to my heart. As well as that, I'm also a wife, a mother, a sister, an aunt, a cousin. Um, I wear many, many, many different hats on many different days. Um, and above all, I, you know, I enjoy seeing people. So that's me. Mm. Thank, Thank you. you. That sounded like the Kirk Franklin intro, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <A> revolution. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you work closely with a lot of long, a lot of young people, um, whether it's in your field of work, in your career, you are a mother, um, and you work within your church as well. Um, obviously, we've noticed um, big changes to do with the pandemic. Um, and we just wanted to ask you personally any changes that you've observed in terms of mental health, um, any alarming or drastic changes, particularly to do with young women, but um, feel free to also speak about young men as well. So, yeah. so I have seen a lot of changes in the last um, few months, years, I would say, um, in around mental health. Mental health has always been a challenge in our community, unfortunately. Um, but I have seen a lot, a lot of self-harming um, and in different ways. I think for me, the most challenging thing is that I'm seeing young people trying to hurt themselves in a variety of ways. It's not the usual taking tablets or um, you know, self-harming by cutting. They're doing a lot of other things um, such as combinations, I would say. So they're, they're, they're taking tablets, they're cutting themselves and they're stopping themselves from eating. Like they're doing loads of different things at one time. And I think for me, that's the worry. And I think a lot of the young people that I've been seeing as well, they know they're fully aware of what they're doing, but they feel like they don't have a voice. They feel like they're not being heard, no one's listening to them. And that's the biggest challenge that I've picked up of recent. Um, and definitely I would say because of the lockdown, 
in people are being stuck at home and it's new to them being at home with their parents. So it's almost as though they're seeing new sides of their parents. Maybe there may be financial challenges. There may be arguments in the family home. There may be siblings that they don't get along with. And all those things are bobbling, bobbling, bobbling. And they get into the point where they're like, I can't take this no more. And just wanting to end their lives. And it's really worrying, I would say. Yeah, so based on what you just said, um, Melissa, where do you think that gap can be bridged for them to feel like they have a voice? Or when you've had young people who've said, okay, I now finally feel like I can be myself, I can speak up when that's been their past. Where do you think that gap, um, that that bridge happens for them to be able to feel that way? Or are there any tools you would say that you could say, yeah, this has really helped young young people? I would say part of bridging the gap has to be within the family home and at school because we spend the majority of our time in school and at home. We need to be able to have dialogues with our parents and our carers. We may not live with our parents. We may live with a carer. We need to be able to have a dialogue with someone. We need to be have, if you've got a social worker, we need to be able to have that one-to-one dialogue with our social worker. Um, in school, there needs to be key people in school settings that young people can go and talk to and be like, miss, this is what I'm going through. This is the challenge. I know teachers are really stressed out at the moment with a lot of things going on. There's lack of funding, so there's no school counsellors, but there needs to be a designated person. In some schools that are bigger, it needs to be more than one person because there's a lot of burden for one person to take on. And um, one of the new government initiatives which um, is happening is that the government's placing a social worker in um, some schools. It's just as a trial run to see how it works. So hopefully, once the results come out from that, that um, there's been change, that could be a permanent fixture because I think it's really important for them to have someone to talk to. Um, one of the tools that I do is ensuring that I have direct work with every young person that I work with. Um, so usually about every 10 days, depends on the risk. If it's a higher risk, then maybe it might be weekly. I make sure I have direct work with them. Um, it may be I go into their schools and pull them out of lessons or after school, I meet them after school and we walk home together. We do something um, every week or every two weeks and I just want them to talk. How's your day been? How are you feeling? What's going on? It's just the general building up a rapport with them. And some, a lot of my um, young people that I work with, they WhatsApp me. <laughs> They send me WhatsApps and I've got them on WhatsApp so I can see their profile pictures. I can mm-hmm. see what's going on in their lives. And I'll be like, okay, so what's going on here? What's this picture about? Tell me about it. And they, yeah, they they feel comfortable. And I think it, it, it's very important to build a relationship and to be relatable. Um, a lot of young people often say to me, oh, I can't talk to that person because they just don't understand me. You need to know what is going on in the community like I'm, I don't live on the streets. I don't, you know, I'm not street like that. Well, some would say otherwise, but I, I know what's going on in my local community. If you talk to me about this person or that person, I would know, you know, so you need to get streetwise. I think that's really important and know the lingo, know what they're using, know about the Snapchats and the this and the that. And just pick up stuff from that because sometimes I will have a young person say to me, Oh, do you know what? Someone put this on Snapchat about me. And I'm like, Okay, send me the link and I'll watch it and I'll see what it is. And that's way for me to open up and have dialogue. And I think that's really, really important. And I think a lot of parents struggle in that area. 
Mm. Um, I know from my parents that, uh, you know, my mum, I mean, I, I can't even imagine trying to show her what Snapchat, it, Snapchat is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> she'll be like, what? And I feel like a lot of parents, we, we do ourselves a disservice by not being aware of what's out there. I mean, if my child is on WhatsApp, I need to know what you're doing on there. If they're on Facebook, I need to be your friend on Facebook kind of thing. And, and it's not that you're going on there and you're writing silly comments underneath their pictures. It's, you're not doing that. You're just going on there just to see what they're doing. And then maybe quietly at home, you have that dialogue with them. Okay, you know what? I saw you posted this and why did you do that? And we need to, young people need to be able to have those dialogues. I think that's really important. Um, you mentioned briefly about um, the government scheme um, on how um, social workers in the academic environment, academic domain. And it's really interesting that you mentioned it because um, my friends and I were speaking about having some sort of um, counsellor in our dorms or like our, our accommodations, especially in first year. Um, in second year, we tend to go towards um, private accommodation um, because it seems like the universities and secondary schools always mention this counsellor, um, this secret counsellor that we, we've never seen. We don't know what he or she looks like, um, but there is a counsellor or there is a wellbeing service. Um, but um, not to know them as well as I know my security guard at the, um, by the receptionist or the, the guy that sends me my post or um, my maintenance guy, it seems a bit um, distant. And I feel like um, that's why a lot of young people don't use the well-being services provided because there's no familiarity. Um, and I think it's really key that you mentioned that you um, keep up with your young people. You speak to them regularly, um, <clears throat> kind of bring, I mean, building up rapport um, so that if, if they need to speak to you, whether small or big, um, they know that there's a space, safe space provided. Um, but I just wanted to also ask briefly, what is your experience with um, observing people within our community? Um, not only are you a social worker, you are a black social worker. Um, and what do you think, are there any barriers per se? Or um, do you think your experience differs largely from any other social worker that belongs to any other um, social group? Um, it's an interesting question because I'm always that person that if there's a black African case that comes up, I'll give it to Melissa, Mel will be able to handle it. Or if there's a, a roughneck boy that's on the boundaries of being in the gang, or give it to Mel, Mel will handle it. And I feel like there's a lot of time where there are other people out there but because they don't expose themselves as much as maybe I do mm. then you get chopped everything and then it becomes work overload mm. um, and I feel like everybody needs to be open and willing to learn that's the only way that we're going to be able to make a marked improvement in young people's lives um, I think um, within social work there are lack I would say definitely a lack of male role models um, it's very, very challenging sometimes. Like, I've been to prison to visit some of the boys that I work with, and sometimes I feel like this is not a female's job. This is something that a male role model should be doing. You know, I've gone to 
visit prisons for so many different other reasons. It's not just because you're black and you're in a gang kind of thing. But um, I feel like definitely there needs to be a lot more matchmaking. But again, if we don't have the male role models, I think in my whole, my previous borough where I worked, there was probably about out of, there's about six social workers in one team, there's four teams. There was probably about two male social workers. And we're not just working with females. We're working with if anything that comes through the door, we're picking up and someone has to get allocated that case. Mm. So I think it's really important for, for there to be, I think, I'll say, I wouldn't really say market because, you know, you, but we need male role, male people in the community. I think as well, um, mentoring is really, really hard to come by these days. And it's because of the lack of funding, the lack of resources, and also it's the fear as well, because setting up a male, uh, female or male mentoring group comes with a lot of attachments. There are a lot of protocols that one has to follow. And you need bodies, like you can't run the show by yourself. And there are going to be a lot of sensitive issues that you're gonna to touch on. And you, you need to know how to manage those issues. Um, I feel sometimes we we get presented with information and we're like, mm, I don't know how to manage it, so I'm going to take a step back. And that's probably the most dangerous thing that we could ever do. You know, if somebody opens their heart and says to you what they're going through and you're like, just pray about it or talk to your mom, you'll be okay. Like, there's a lot more that needs to be done. And I think within our community, we shy away from referrals to mental health services. But it's okay. Mm like if there is an issue and you, you you've identified it it's okay for that referral to be made to a child adolescent mental health refer, uh, mental health team just talk no one's saying that you're going to be started up on medication straight away and they're going to do this and they're going to label you you're just literally going in there to talk and one of the things that i've done as well i've gone into those sessions with young people so I've had quite a lot of young people that have engaged with what we call CAMS, which is a child and adolescent mental health service. And I've, I said, you know what, let me tag along to your session with you. I've sat in there for 45 minutes and I've just been the fly on the wall for 45 minutes because I wanted to see what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. I can't tell people, oh, I'm going to refer you to this service. I don't know nothing about it myself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really important that we know what we're saying or what we're doing. Um, Another thing as well is um, you touched on something which was quite dear to my heart um, was about when you at uni, um, you mentioned that it's almost as though there's this counsellor that no one knows. And I feel like once you go to uni, you're, you're running this show by yourself. And I think it's so, so unfair. Um, definitely, you know, you transition from literally living in your parents' house to then moving somewhere else by yourself. You could pick up the call from your parents when they call you you could choose not to and you could be so alone you're in this new world and I feel like there needs to be that gap needs to be tightened um there needs to be a lot more support but again it comes down to resources availability and stuff like that but um see we see in the media there's a lot of things going on when people go into uni you're either drinking partying recklessly um feeling suicidal killing yourself and doing all kinds of things and it's just because the support was not there whereas in school if you walked into school and you was looking you were smelling of alcohol I'd be like yo what's going on but in uni you're going to your lecture it might be online you know no one knows what you've done the night before no one's seeing you so you're not accountable 
And I think there needs to definitely be a gap in between uh, un um, year 13 to uni. That gap there, there needs to be some work done there. So hopefully, mm -hmm. let's see. Wow. Mm. Oh, I, I agree with you with what you said about even what Emmanuel has experienced. Because I thought even in like sixth form or secondary school there is this like mystery counsellor that no one knows and it's sad because I know in some schools that they've actually got some pushback when students have had to bring this up like this is an issue people having issues with like um self-image and um so many things in their personal life and there'll be teachers like oh we don't struggle with this in this school and pushing that back and I find that um, really sad so what advice would you give to a young person who's struggling with their mental health and they're receiving pushback whether it be from teachers at school from their parents telling them that oh just pray or um they're at university and they, they think that they should be you know old enough now to deal with those issues what advice would you give to them i would say pushbacks <laughs> don't stop because you're being pushed back continue to be persistent I know it can be really annoying you know when you're saying something and no one's hearing you even me in my house when I'm telling my kids to do something and they're not hearing me it's annoying you know so I can I can imagine what it feels like when you're going through something um I would say um there's a lot of stuff available online um child line there's a lot of things that you could tap into one thing I would say is don't because um, if you are having challenges with self-image, self-harm, eating, different things, you know, you need to get the help. And um, sometimes we say, pray, 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 pray. I, I totally get that. But sometimes we need to act on the prayers. You know, we're praying, we're praying, but we're not, we're not moving forward. Um, I would say, keep being persistent. Don't give up. Um, do some research yourself. Um, like I said, Childline, um, there are loads of other mental health services that you can tap into online. Um, I would say um, if you feel like school's not hearing you, there's a problem because they should be hearing you. They should not be, be pushing you back. Um, maybe try and find a different teacher within the school setting. Um, but what I would say is be very careful with social media um, there are a lot of groups um a lot of groups on there where <laughs> that tell you how to commit suicide and do certain things like that and i would say avoid them at all costs um, it's extremely dangerous and it is worrying that these things are even allowed to be on such a platform um, so I would say avoid them. Um, maybe talk to your best friend if you feel that you can talk to them. But I would say don't give up. It's so key. Go to a different teacher. Call 111 if you're struggling. You know, tell them what you're going through. They should be able to tap you into support services. Definitely. Yeah, no, even with what you were just saying at the end there about call 111, I've never even thought about calling 111 for anything except for physically if I've hurt myself but it's not deep enough that I actually need an ambulance like I've mm. never it's never even yes. come into my mind so even just saying like it's meant to be there as a support service as well yeah. Yeah. um with what blessings were saying about school um 
it was the same thing in my secondary school as well and I remember especially as I got older having discussions with teachers where I was like there needs to be more pastoral care there needs Definitely. to be more support in there and we were told straight out they were like we we've tried to get more support but as a grammar school we're on the bottom of the list so yeah. either try and support each other we can try our best and when you have a teacher as well who has five or six different hats you're like where is the time as well for them to be able to support in that um way so i i get what you were saying as well about there being a strain on the school system um with what you were mentioning about talking to your friend um then melissa what what advice would you give to someone who they have a friend who is struggling in their mental health what kind of conversations um should they be having with their friends um in terms of the friend getting support and stuff how do they like support in terms of reaching out for their friend maybe if the friend doesn't know how to reach out um as well i would say for a friend um be that listening ear don't judge them it's so important don't be like oh my gosh you got all those paracetamol tablets you're gonna take all of them don't do that mm-hmm. you know don't be judgmental just say okay you know i would say be there for them be that agony on listen to them um, and say to them look I think you can get help I can go with you let's go and talk to Miss together let's go and talk to your parents together um, don't take on their burden for yourself because if something happens you will blame yourself and that is the most dangerous position to be in um, help them to get help and also help yourself to get help because you're hearing all of this and for you in your mind it's hard to process and you're thinking mm, if they're feeling like this how am I feeling so it's important that for you to um be able to talk to someone a lot of um instances that I've had I've had young people um come into my office and be like yeah they've come together to talk about one friend and that's one way that they deal with it and just feeling like the friend's there but one what I've always find important to do is to then remove the friend from the from that link because they can become too involved and I think for their mental state that becomes dangerous as well so when you do go to somebody and you do speak to a member of staff that's where it stops that's where you leave it they're your friend yes you still you know how are you whatever you still communicate with them you're not stop being friends with them but it's emotionally it's only so much that you can bear and I find mental health is a very very hard um not everybody has the backbone to deal with it um sometimes when I'm going through processes that I've dealt with at work wise people are like raw how did you deal with that and honestly, I think it's just me as a person. That's how God has built me, being able to withstand that. But not everybody can withstand that. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, important yeah. that you get help yourself as that friend. Um, and also, um, don't be afraid to talk. A lot of um, friends feel like, oh, my friend told me this in confidence. Well, if my friend called me in confidence and told me that they were going to terminate their lives, I'll be calling 999 on their behalf. Yeah, because they're my friend. I don't want to lose my friend. So that's the perspective that you need to see it from. Yeah, you, they may see that you betrayed them, but at the same time, you saved them. Because I feel like, you know, if, if you see on the news that they've terminated their lives and, and you're the only person that knew about that, how then would you feel? You could have stopped that. Well, maybe you couldn't have stopped that, but, you know, you was aware even if it's just one phone call um, that you make, it's one phone call that saved their lives. 
you mentioned that um, when it comes to dealing with difficult situations, you um, tend to have a different approach to everyone else in terms of personality and character. And I'm guessing um, circumstances, experiences and culture has shaped you to build like tough skin. Um, I was just wanted to ask um, when you you feel like your mental health is um, unstable or a bit triggered or is starting to weaken, um, what are the tips that you normally would recommend or what would you do um, to sustain your mental health? Okay, so some of the things that I do to sustain my mental health is I take a break. Um, so I give myself, if I'm working on a case that's really doing my brain in and I'm like preparing some paperwork for court or anything like that, I would set myself a time cell. If it's seven o'clock, I'm finishing, that's it, computer's off, log off. Okay. And another thing that I do is I watch movies, I eat good food. Um, Friday night, ain't no one cooking in my house. We are ordering, we're eating. <laughs> um, we're watching movies, we're doing a lot of family time. Um, I go a lot of places, take walks. I enjoy taking walks. Um, sometimes I just park my car somewhere and just walk. Um, what else do I do? I like traveling, going on holiday and using up my annual leave that way. Um, I also find like for me work-wise, I think I've got a good relationship with my manager. Um, if I'm like, nah, this case, and she knows, she knows me. So she'll know if like this case is really having a pull on me. I'm like, after this, don't expect to see me tomorrow. <laughs> like I'm staying at home. So yeah, sometimes I'll work from home or I'll just take the day off. Um, but or I'll shop one of my weaknesses but the Holy Spirit <laughs> has really worked on me like really 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 worked on me like but um this lockdown yeah it's been interesting um shopping online but um a lot of shop shopping a lot of returns <laughs> <laughs> try and discipline myself but yeah I do enjoy shopping and I, that's, if you know what, I, I was just thinking, you saying um, those things, Melissa, it's just so amazing how we can find release in sometimes the normal, everyday, things that seem mundane and stuff. I love to just look at stuff online, like make a full cart and then leave it because I don't want to buy it. <laughs> but no, just, what gets me is the delivery shop. charge, the delivery charge. When I look at the delivery charge, I'm like, yo, I'm not paying for that, man. Literally. <laughs> I recently was gonna two beautiful t-shirts. One said Trinidad and Tobago. One had this beautiful like black lady. I was like, yes. I went in. I was like seven pounds delivery for what? Yeah, keep for keep who? It, yo. That's a whole t-shirt again. Why am I paying that? Um, another thing that I um wanted to um ask about as well, Melissa, when you were talking about needing more male um men working in um the social social worker field, but also about other colleagues in different races being like oh melissa take it um do you think that there is a, a wider conversation around race and around like gender i guess like the way genders are looked at when it comes to social workers in my head when i think of a social worker i don't think of a man as a social worker um it's a well. caring role isn't it so you you automatically think female yeah but actually you like there are there are young men and there are young women who also who need support from social workers. So, 
so like what what do you think the wider conversation around like why it looks like certain races should support certain races and um only women should should be yeah the unspoken rules i think there's a lot of fear i know from speaking with students that i've had um let's say white um students that i've had there's often a fear around the unknown because they're not aware of such cultures which I totally understand there are some cultures that I might not necessarily be aware of but I do research and I think that's what people need to do you're coming into a profession to help everybody you can't select pick and choose it's not, I'm not going to say oh because this is a Spanish-speaking family that I'm not going to pick up the case no I'm going to get an interpreter on the phone and I'm going to get an interpreter to come on my home visit and that's how I'm going to communicate with them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to translate letters which I write to them into Spanish so that when they're reading it, they understand. So it's about changing your way of work. It may take a little bit longer, yes, yeah. but at the same time, you're being effective. Um, I would say as well, with a lot of the Black families um, that I've worked with, I've had workers from different ethnic minorities coming and saying, oh, this mama said to me that because I'm not of their ethnicity, they don't understand, um, therefore they don't want me in the house. That's no reason to shy away from a situation. Um, that's your opportunity to learn. Say to the mum, okay, tell me what I don't know. What is it about your community that makes you different? Why is it that you would not want to know? You know, you've come in this profession to help everybody. I'm not just saying that because I'm Black African, I'm only going to help Black Africans. No. You know, so I want to know that I've gone into families that are of Caribbean descent and I wasn't born Caribbean. People would say that I am, but I wasn't born Caribbean. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I I learned, I learned. So even this is a little thing to like, come back to food that they eat. Have those dialogues, you know, with the young people. I'm like, okay, so what's your favourite meal? And I'll be able to reel off some things, you know, because I've done a little bit of research. And even if it's just five minutes before you leave the office, find out something that you can use to start a conversation and you find that people open up a lot more um i think definitely in our community with the whole knife crime that's going on um male role models male social workers are really 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 needed um i think as well because um a lot of males when i speak to them they say they see it as a female role so they don't necessarily mm-hmm. want to do it. They'll rather do youth work or, but then again, those services are being cut. So it is helpful to see them come into social work um, because I feel that there are a lot of young males out there that lack father figures um, and they really do need somebody that they can talk to and relate to. Um, a lot of the time you find them getting in trouble with the law and, um maybe their mum might turn around and be like oh I'm not coming to the police station I'm not interested and as that practitioner working with the family you don't have to go and spend a good couple of hours at the police station while they're sitting there giving their evidence and sometimes um, some males that I've spoken to feel like oh sometimes the job's a waste of my time because I'm basically being their parent but no it's not a waste of time you're supporting them, you're helping them to have better outcomes in life. And I think that's what we all need to think about. It's about the outcomes in life. If a young person can thrive in their community, free from harm, free from danger, have an education, have a good health system, you know, then that's what we're looking for. You know, every day we see on the news, oh, this person's been stabbed, this person's been shot. When will the story change? And the story won't change until we, from 
it starts from the head up you know we need to really like root out all of this stuff that's going on in community we need to be in there and listen out and hear what's going on in the streets and in order to make the change I think Thank you so much for all that you have shared, Melissa. Honestly, like in this time, I've learned so, so much. I can tell you're an amazing social worker. And thank you so much for coming and being a guest today. So thank you everyone to, who has listened to us on Instagram. Be sure to follow us at Aphrodite Empower. Continue to follow our podcast on many social platforms. You can research Spotify, Anchor, many of them. So that's it from us at Aphrodite Empower. Um, and yeah, thank we'll you guys. Thank you, thank Melissa. You. Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye. We're really glad you joined us today. Check us out on Instagram, Aphrodias, and comment on today's podcast post. Don't forget, be phenomenal. <laughs>